Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Welcome to Raising Good Humans. I'm Dr. Aliza Pressman, and today's episode, we're talking about your kids' brains in sports. So I have Dr. Julie Stamm, whose research explores the consequences of things like repetitive brain trauma and concussions in youth sports and potential consequences for brain development. She's also the author of an awesome book called The Brain on Youth Sports, The Science, the Myths, and the Future. So today we're talking about the science so that parents can make an informed decision about the sports or the versions of sports that their kids participate in. And we're talking about some of the myths that surround these sports. And we're also talking about things like what sports are more beneficial, what sports are higher risk, how to mitigate that risk, and what sports are good for. Because this is definitely not an anti-sports episode because we start off talking about all the benefits of sports, particularly team sports. Then we are going to talk more about the sports that are higher risk, how to get the most out of it, how to protect without anxiety, and definitely not to specialize. If you enjoy this episode, don't hesitate to subscribe, rate, and write a little review. I cannot tell you how much it helps me to get those five-star ratings and reviews, especially on Apple Podcasts, but wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to subscribe to my bulletin, Dr. Aliza. Bulletin.com. I want to start out by hearing a little bit from you on how we can think about getting our kids started in playing and engaging in sports in a time when we have a lot of information about what's happening with their brains without being completely paralyzed with concerns and without being completely ignorant about the realities, because it's just a different time than it was when I was growing up. And we just have information right now. So what's the information that helps us make good decisions? And what's information that's maybe the myths that you talk about? Yeah, that's such a great question. First off, sports are awesome. And every kid should have that opportunity if they want it to play sports. The last thing we want to do is to keep kids out of sports. I think that's such an important thing here that if we're pulling kids from sports because we're concerned about brain trauma, then we're taking them out of something that can be really beneficial for their brain and their body. 
sports have so many benefits from you know learning life skills, leadership, you know determination, learning how to win, learning how to lose, you know all of that. And we want kids to have those benefits, but we can also protect the brain at the same time. This is not an either or. So looking for sports that provide opportunities or versions of sports that provide opportunities without the repetitive trauma. So soccer without heading, flag football or football, you know, forms like tackle bar where there's a bar at the on the player's back and they wrap them up like a tackle, but they pull the bar off their back instead of tackling them to the ground. Things like that exist and they're popping up more and more around the country at even older ages and those are great opportunities. In hockey, you can't check until they're 13. So, you know, these opportunities exist and it's just seeking those out to give that introduction to these sports and to have kids play sports, but also protect their brain at the same time. And having that education, I think, is so important to know what a concussion is, because even in non-contact sports, you can get concussions or even playing in the backyard, a kid can get a concussion. So understanding what those symptoms are, what a concussion is, how to manage that. So taking them to see uh, a clinician who knows something about concussions and can can help. And just being aware of that, you know, managing a concussion right to start with, to, you know, stopping play and, you know, doing that proper management can get them back faster to the sport that's going to, again, help their brain. And, you know, I said that it can help their brain, but the sports actually have been shown to cause positive changes in the brain. So we want them to get that positive without the negative. Can you talk about some of the benefits of sports on a developing brain? Yeah. So sports, especially team sports, but any sport in general has benefits, you know, the physical activity, just raising your heart rate, you know, that can have benefits for your brain, increasing blood flow to the body also increases blood flow to the brain, which has its own benefits. It is important though, that sports uh, actually involve that physical activity. So when they're young, especially, and they're learning different skills, there can be a lot of standing in line and just ensuring, you know, as a parent, uh, asking those questions. And as a coach, you know, a lot of parents volunteer coach, making sure that there's actual physical activity happening and running and playing so that they get the physical activity piece of it. That has great benefits for the brain. Uh, parts of the brain involved in memory, for example, have been shown to increase in size from participation in sports. And, you know, all those life skills, like you said, you know, leadership, determination, learning how to win and lose, uh, so many different life skills can be taught through the sport venue too. Uh, so there are just countless benefits. Any kid who wants the opportunity to play sports really should have that opportunity. But like I said, we can do both. We can play and protect the brain. So you mentioned team sports have the most positive benefits. So let's say you have a kid who's not super excited about team sports. Do you recommend, especially when they're younger, kind of just saying, let's give this a try and we'll to sort of promote the team aspect of it so that they don't just experience the individual sports? Yeah. I'm so glad you asked that question. I, you know, first off, definitely play multiple sports when you're young. That's a, a really important thing. There's a lot of evidence that specializing in one sport when you're young has negative outcomes for, you know, both psychosocial, uh, emotional negative outcomes and also increased risk of injury. So sampling is, is great. And also as far as individual versus team, the benefits of team sports can be, you know, that ability to rely on a teammate, you know, not just have it all be on yourself. 
and the camaraderie, but you can get that still to some degree in individual sports. So track and field is an individual sport, but you compete with a team. So you have teammates around you. You might be the only one jumping or running at that particular time or throwing, but you still have a team. And it's that camaraderie piece and the mentorship piece with coaches that can be such a a great benefit for kids too. So even though it's not, you know, quite the same as being on a basketball court, for example, putting them in maybe a track club so they have that camaraderie or in a swim club, for example, can be a great way to get some of those benefits, even in individual sports. Now, I'm glad you mentioned specialization because what is going on right now? It it feels like you have to choose so early to get so good. And parents of elementary school kids are having conversations about how to get specialized enough that they're going to be recruited for colleges. And I wonder if you can speak to that and what's going on and maybe a different approach that's more beneficial for the bigger picture. Yeah, definitely. All of the evidence thus far says that there are negative outcomes with sports specialization, especially the earlier you specialize from injuries and, and burnout and all of that. And can you specify early so that we have a sense of ages? Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's happening really early, like even in elementary school, like you said, at some points, but really specialization before high school, if you can stay multi-sport into high school, it's even better, but specialization, you know, in the middle school, younger groups, especially can really lead to a lot of those outcomes. And, you know, specializing, we think that it's going to help us get scholarships or or help our kids get scholarships, but they're not going to get a scholarship. Most likely, (laughs) you know, the scholarships are so few and far between. I have percentages on this and I can't remember them off the top of my head, but it's a very, very low percentage. I think about 2% of high school football players, for example, get a, a college scholarship. Uh, the highest one, I, I believe, is around 8% for women's hockey. Uh, and that's still really small. And then from there, the numbers are just minuscule for going pro. So the odds of actually getting a scholarship are really low. Our goal should really be towards uh, becoming great athletes because great athletes can pick up any skill as they get older. So if we foster our movement patterns and motor control, uh, have kids play multiple sports and even different positions within the same sport so that they just become a, a great athlete, they can jump in and pick up different skills as they get older. Uh, and that's something thinking about you know, football and tackling, for example. If they're a really good athlete, they can pick up tackling in high school and they'll be fine. But you know, we don't need to, to teach a specific movement in tackling or pitching or well, maybe pitching, you know, is something that at least they should be practicing a little bit when they're younger, but not exclusively. But, you know, we can pick up these movements and these skills later if we're just a great athlete. And being a great athlete also benefits you throughout life. If you are only playing one sport and you get burnt out as a kid, then you may not go on to be athletic and, or be physically active as an adult. Being a physically active kid is the number one predictor of being a physically active adult. So you know, maintaining that physical activity is so important and being an athlete will help you be an athlete throughout life, which benefits your health throughout your life. And now a quick break so I can tell you about my sponsors. 
I love Once Upon a Farm. Everyone knows I love Once Upon a Farm. Once Upon a Farm is the leading baby food and kids snack brand offering organic, cold-pressed fruit and veggie pouches, dairy-free smoothies, overnight oats, plant-rich meals, and more made with whole farm fresh ingredients and no added sugars, concentrates, or anything artificial. Their subscription offering is fully customizable, so you can pick and choose from their wide variety of blends or meals and switch it up before every delivery. We all know that back-to-school hustle and bustle can be chaotic. Give yourself a break and get Once Upon a Farm to help with healthy on-the-go snacks for kids of all ages. I mean, my high schooler snacks on Once Upon a Farm. It's no joke. There's just everything that I didn't have when my babies were little. Fresh, refrigerated grab-and-go pouches that can be enjoyed anytime, anywhere, packed in a lunchbox, bring it as an after-school snack in the car, take it to soccer practice, bring it to the playground. Their new immunity blends are made with nutrition-packed superfoods like elderberry and dragon fruit and probiotics to help support your little ones. You can find Once Upon a Farm at retailers nationwide and online. Get started today and enjoy an additional 35% off your first subscription order. Use the code HUMANS at onceuponafarmorganics.com. That's onceuponafarmorganics.com. Everlywell is digital healthcare designed for you, all at an affordable and transparent price. With over 30 at-home lab tests, you can choose from tests that make the most sense for you to get the answers you need. Like, for example the women's health test, or the food sensitivity test. So here's how it works. It's so cool. Everlywell ships your at-home lab test straight to you with everything needed for a simple sample collection. Collect your sample and use the included prepaid shipping label to mail your test back to a certified lab. I mean, even the fact that it's prepaid, it just makes it all so easy. Your physician-reviewed results get sent to your phone or device in days. And you can share the results with your primary care physician to help guide next steps. It is so simple. Over a million people have trusted Everlywell to support their health and wellness goals, and you can too. I, of course, was fascinated to take the Everlywell Women's Health Test because it measures 11 biomarkers known to play a role in your overall health and wellness, and it checks for any abnormal levels that may be keeping you from feeling your best. And that is just so helpful to make the choices in your day-to-day life that can help you thrive. And for listeners of the show, Everly Well is offering a special discount of 20% off an at-home lab test at everlywell.com slash humans. That's everlywell.com slash humans for 20% off your next at-home lab test, everlywell.com slash humans. I totally specialized in what most athletes do not consider athletics, which was dance. And so that was the only skill I had for all those years. And now I'm an adult and it is a sad tale. So I completely agree with you both research-wise and anecdotally was a mistake not to make, but there is a lot of pressure, I think, for parents to get their kids to find that specialty and go for it. So I'm really excited for everyone to hear from you that that's actually a myth and we should really counter it. So talk to me about the sports that are most beneficial, and then we can go into the sports that have the highest risk for brain injury. And then we can get into kind of what to do if that is the sport of choice. Yeah, definitely. And 
I definitely think dance is a sport. It's so, oh, so physical. It's so it really is. It's so physical. Cheer is another one that also gets kind of thought of as on the side. And that actually is a high concussion risk in competitive cheer. And it's so physical. You know, I think these are sports that really need to be considered uh, as well. But there are, you know, the sports that increase the heart rate are really important. Getting the heart rate up, you know, has so many benefits for health. So sports that involve more of that can be really beneficial, like soccer, you know, things that if you think about more running and more consistent movement, basketball, even though basketball has its, its kind of ups and downs with heart rate throughout the flow of the game, there's still more constant kind of movement happening. Other sports can be beneficial though that don't have that, right? Strength is an important thing, building strength, you know, so football and hockey, every sport has its, its place, but some form of increased heart rate should be considered in a prolonged way, no matter what sport you're playing. And coaches can go really far in uh, working to incorporate that in their practices. The ones where we're more concerned about brain trauma are, you know, football, hockey, soccer, lacrosse, especially on the men's side, and rugby is another one. And that's growing in the United States for sure. Uh, These are particularly concerning because they involve more repetitive brain trauma. And I'm not talking just about concussions. So concussions are where you have symptoms after a hit to the head, but all of those repetitive impacts where you get hit in the head and you don't have symptoms, those are concerning too. Those cause changes in the brain. And we used to think they didn't matter because you know we didn't have symptoms. Now we know, we, we have studies that show from the beginning of the season to the end of the season, even in youth and high school football seasons, for example, There are differences seen in the brain from preseason to postseason in players who didn't have a concussion. Wow. So we know these are affecting the brain. CTE has been diagnosed in individuals who didn't have a concussion. For example, that's chronic traumatic encephalopathy, the neurodegenerative disease that, for example, some NFL players, you may have heard of uh, being diagnosed with that. So it's not just about the concussions. And that's why those sports where those repetitive impacts Mm. are common to the game are more concerning. Now you can get a concussion doing anything, right? Right. So, you know, my husband had a concussion emptying the dishwasher and he hit his head on a cupboard door, right? Things are going to happen in life. We're not wrapping. (laughs) Yes. Right. But you know, not, we're not wrapping kids in bubble wrap, like things can happen, Mm -hmm. but you know, taking away those repetitive impacts when they're young can go a long way to not only preventing concussions, but also protecting their brain from the consequences of those repetitive impacts. So that's why those sports that have those impacts are what we're more most concerned about. And how much are, are nationally, at least, I'm not sure about internationally, but how much of these higher impact sports are making changes based on what we now know in brain science? It's being talked about internationally and it's being talked about and really all or at least most of these sports, the degree of change differs. So soccer has gone a long way uh, in the United States. Soccer has eliminated heading before age 11, and they've limited it to age 13. Now, if you have a child that's playing high school soccer and club soccer, uh, you know, multiple leagues, that kind of thing, coaches are supposed to monitor and make sure they don't head the ball more than 25 times in a week. But when they're on multiple teams, how do you regulate that, right? It's very difficult. So that's where as a parent, you can be involved and really uh, 
monitor your child and limit the heading. Uh, there's so much about soccer you can learn without, you know, without the heading piece. And that can come, you know, a little bit later on when their necks are stronger and their bodies are stronger. That's also been at least talked about and in some places implemented worldwide as well. Uh, hockey in both the United States and Canada, they have eliminated checking before age 13. So they do all the other skills and they're still on the ice. They just don't check. What is checking? Um, I'm embarrassed. I have no idea. So checking is when, and I don't have the exact definition, but it's essentially when they hit someone like into the boards, for example, when one player will come up and body check, you know, throw their body against another player. Uh, So that has been eliminated. That's the number one source of concussions in hockey. So that's something that they've taken the data and looked at that and said, we can make changes here. And then they've gotten data on the back end now to say, oh yeah, we have seen a reduction in overall injury and a reduction in concussions as a result of this. This is a good thing. And in Canada, some leagues even eliminate checking up to age 15. So there have been positive changes made uh, for that. Football has made changes and they are conscious of improving education and trying to implement great uh, tackling technique. But uh, a friend who is an NFL player for a year, Chris Borland, has always said that he never learned how to check or excuse me, how to tackle properly because, you know, every play is so dynamic that, you know, how do you really make sure that you're doing the exact right technique every time? <laughs> he just, it was his job to tackle. End of story. Right. So, you know, I, there have been more flag leagues that have come up. There have been states who have tried to eliminate tackling under a certain age, like with legislation. None of that has gone through so far, mm-hmm. but it's a very difficult change to make without legislation because you have two main bodies that regulate in football. You have USA football and you have Pop Warner football. So if USA football says we're not going to allow tackling until seventh grade, Pop Warner, Pop Warner would say, come play with me <laughs> and they would lose players. So uh, in hockey and soccer, for example, you have pretty much one main governing body. So it makes it much easier to make those changes. So it's really on parents to say, I just, I think we're going to wait to tackle. Uh, And, you know, it's also up to communities to to provide options. They're not always there, especially in smaller communities. And are... Is the argument parents and community members that this is just, is it a denial thing? Like people have been doing this for decades and they're fine, even though they're clearly not. So we're just going to, you know, we don't want to take away this exciting thing the community has. Like what's the reason behind it? There are several. One is that, well, I played and I'm fine. And my argument is always, well, are you? Like maybe you are, I hope you are, but maybe your short temper is related to the fact that you hit your head repeatedly when you were young, or maybe, you know, some of that forgetfulness might be related to some of that. You know, I I think it's so hard to say, you know, and part of the reason this research is so hard is it's difficult to say, who are you going to be or supposed to be? And who did you become? And what influence did that, those impacts have? Right. But, you know, I think it also comes from that community pressure. That's the same pressure around sports specialization, right? That, oh, well, the high school coach wants my kid to tackle when they're in fifth grade because they have to learn the skill. 
when in reality they can learn it later. But you, know, you get those same social pressures. One of my good friends has a, a son that I went to a sixth grade football game of uh, that he wasn't playing, but his his friends were. And one of the mothers of another player came up to him in front of his mother and said, well, you're going to play next year, right? Because you're a great athlete. We need you on the team. Oh, he wants to play. You know, he should play. Knowing that his mom didn't want him to. So you get the, all of these social pressures that play a big role in it too. And I couldn't believe like the peer pressure from a parent to another another child is was more than I even expected. Uh, but also there are those myths, you know, they're young. They don't hit that hard or that often. Well, that's not actually true. So we know that uh, the force experienced by kids is actually very similar to the high school and college players. Their necks are weaker. So the way that their head moves is different. And it comes out to a very similar amount of force with every impact. And we also know that while their seasons are shorter than you know high school and college, the amount of impacts per event are still pretty similar, around 9 to 11 impacts per practice or game. So they're still hitting their head quite a lot, which adds up to hundreds of times potentially per season. Uh, on average, you know, two to 300 times. It's, a couple of studies have shown five to even 800 times in a season for just a youth football player. So these are myths that we have to break that, you know, they still are hitting. And even with, you know, reduced, pra- reduced contact and practice has helped. That's another change that has been made. So spending less time on contact drills, but some coaches just get all those, you know, tackles and all that contact. Uh, they cram it into that 15 minutes or half hour that they have. And it comes out to about the same amount of impacts. I mean, do you essentially have to choose between having a kid who's playing sports and getting well-rounded and becoming a person, who, an individual who will grow up as a healthy athlete and be able to move a lot throughout their lives, and a child who you are gearing up to be the best athlete they can be to impact that particular game that they want to get really good at? but you know that you're going to have to make sacrifices on their brain development. I mean, is that the choice? I hope not. It shouldn't be. I don't want it to be. And I don't think it has to be. You know, in one chapter of my book, I highlight NFL players who are legendary NFL players who didn't play tackle football before high school. So Jerome Bettis was an all-city bowler, right? Like bowling, you know, he, he had a different skill. <laughs> Tom Brady did not play tackle until he was in high school. No one would say that Tom Brady would be better if he had played before high school. In fact, maybe he has some of that longevity because he didn't play before high school. Michael Strahan's another one who didn't actually tackle until 12th grade. So, you know, it can be done. If you are a good athlete, you can pick up these skills later. And I think that's seen in other sports too. You know, there are great NFL players who played basketball or great football players who went on to play baseball. And, you know, being a great athlete is what really matters. And it's hard. And I, I don't, I don't say that lightly. Like I understand that it's hard for parents in the current day and all the pressure from coaches, but I think it's also up to, you know, this generation of parents to start to fight against that, whether that's at your community level or, you know, even just with your child saying, I'm going to put, I'm going to seek out clubs or opportunities where coaches appreciate multiple sports or, appreciate protecting the brain. And, you know, it's, it's not always easy, but I think that's something that we really have to strive for because it should not be an either or we can do both. And now a word from my sponsor, KiwiCo. 
I love my sponsor, KiwiCo, because here's the thing. It's exhausting coming up with creative activities for your kids. And it's wonderful when they come up with their own, even better when it's just having kids running around screen-free in nature and it's summer and you're just letting them do their thing. But the reality is there are times between putting on a screen or letting them roam free and do their own thing where you can find Kiwi Crate, the happy balance, delivering a monthly crate full of science and art projects, perfect for kids of all ages who want to keep their imaginations active, away from computer and phone screens, but not giving you more to do. They can build stomp rockets with kites, explore the fascinating science of trees, or engineer their own coin-eating robot. Come on, it's pretty cool. And every month brings a new adventure in science and art. Make summer a new learning adventure every month with KiwiCo. Get 50% off your first month plus free shipping with any crate line using the code HUMANS at KiwiCo.com. That's 50% off your first month at K-I-W-I-C-O.com, promo code HUMANS. And know that your child is going to have fun learning with super cool hands-on projects delivered to their door every month. And you can either join them because you're just in it and curious and excited, but didn't want to deal with all the shopping and prep, or you can relax, have a cup of coffee and read the paper and know that they are not on their screens. They're building new skills and you're right there to sort of observe from a distance of relaxation. So you mentioned concussions. What should parents do if they suspect there was a concussion? Let's start with what a concussion is and if they suspect that. And then we can talk about repetitive brain trauma. Just kind of how do we treat our brains physically after playing those sports? And I'm curious, because I know there are new protocols, how seriously should parents take them? Yeah. So first off, a concussion is, uh, has occurred that, sorry, let me start that over. Uh, A concussion has occurred anytime that you have had a blow to the head or a blow to the body that causes the head to move back and forth like whiplash. So it doesn't have to be directly to the head. But if you have that experience, either the blow to the head or the blow to the body that causes the head to move back and forth, and you have symptoms for any amount of time, that might be a headache, blurred vision, double vision, seeing stars, sensitivity to light or noise, feeling nauseous, uh, even vomiting, which would be, I would say, towards the more serious end of the, the spectrum, you know, confusion, difficulty with memory. You do not have to lose consciousness. Only about 10% of concussions involve a loss of consciousness. So that's a big myth out there. You don't have to lose consciousness. But anytime you've had those that impact and you have those symptoms, that's a concussion. We used to not call, not count things like getting your bell rung or seeing stars, but they only happen because something is happening in the brain, right? They wouldn't You wouldn't have those symptoms if something wasn't happening in the brain. So now we are considering those to also be a part of having a concussion. First thing we want to do is remove the athlete from play. So you are more likely to get a second concussion if you go back too early or if you keep playing. And that second concussion can be even worse. Uh, And also there are very rare cases, but they do happen. Um, We call that second impact syndrome. And that's when you have a concussion after the first concussion hasn't fully healed and the blood flow in the brain becomes unregulated 
and it can be even deadly in that case. So we really want to prevent against that. And that's only really happening in younger individuals before the age of about 20. Uh, so one more reason just to take these things seriously and really protect the kids. Now we take them out uh, the first 24 to 48 hours we want to rest. That includes cognitive rest and physical rest. Uh, so trying to avoid video games and computers, you really have to talk to your school as well, the child's school, and talk about accommodations and homework and tests. We just want need the brain to rest. But after that, about 24 to 48 hours, now we know that exercise is really helpful. So we used to say, lock them in a dark room right. and you know, let their brain heal. But now we know that limited exercise can be helpful. This is exercise that does not make symptoms worse. So, you know, it's something that is at a heart rate level below where symptoms become worse. So think a really easy ride on a stationary bike or very light walking, slow walking on a treadmill. And there's great evidence to show now that starting this very light exercise in that 48 hours or so period after a concussion can make the symptoms go away faster and have them resolve, you know, the outcomes be even better. So I would recommend talking to a physician, athletic trainer, PT, somebody who has training in this and who has had education in this and working with them maybe at a concussion clinic if you have one nearby your community, just getting some guidance on that, uh, how to go through that process and how to gently increase the amount of exercise uh, because that exercise has been shown to be really helpful. And the same kind of goes for academics. So, you know, if you can read for 10 minutes and you feel okay, okay, that's that's fine. If reading causes a headache, maybe reading a paper is easier, but a book is or a, a computer screen is worse. You know, finding those things that you can do that don't make the symptoms worse is key. And really getting that support from the school and the teachers to to come back at a level that you can, looking for what you can do without symptoms. And what happens if your child is like, I feel totally fine. So even though those recommendations were there, I'm fine, I'm fine, I can keep going. Or, you know, I'm able to just persevere. You know, the kind of sense of wipe yourself off, rub some dirt on it and keep going. Mm -hmm. How do we think about that? Yeah, and that can be, well, that's going to happen no matter at some point in the process, we hope anyway, right? So uh, if that's right away, maybe they see stars for a little bit and they're not feeling right. I would still say, take them out for that game uh, or that practice, you know, let them rest for a little bit and then start the return to play protocol. So, you know, maybe that's a faster process with an athlete who is really symptom-free very early. The return to play protocol now is that you slowly increase activity until you kind of pass all of these levels without symptoms returning. So light exercise, heavier exercise, doing your sport, but without contact, uh, and then going through a practice and then a game. And ideally there's 24 hours in between those, um, but you should do that with your athletic trainer or your physician guiding that to get back to play. And that will happen whenever they're asymptomatic. So maybe they have symptoms for the first seven days and then they're feeling great. You still want to go through those protocols because sometimes just increasing the heart rate can bring the symptoms back. So it's kind of the goal of that is to test and make sure that you're ready to pass 
every level of activity without your symptoms coming back. And that will ensure that you're ready to play. Kids' brains are developing. They're young. They're not playing in Super Bowls, right? Even though these games might be really big and important at times, it's really important to protect them because ultimately, you know, that one game is not more important than their, you know, future and and the symptoms that can come from that. So, uh, you know, really trying to keep the long term in mind, which I know is not always easy, but that's well, yeah, really right. It's so so easy to lose perspective, even just watching a game, parents get so invested. So just taking a breath and having perspective of what your long-term hopes and dreams are will be very important. Yeah. And and kids, they don't have the ability, they don't have the frontal lobe development to say, oh, I need to worry about my future and my long-term. Most kids are focused on the now because that's where their brain development is. So if you just let your child make that decision, they don't have the capability to because they're just not developed enough yet. Even if they're a really mature kid, they may be so focused on the now that they can't really understand the long term. So that's where it's important for a parent to step in and coaches. Thank you for saying that for parents and coaches. Okay, now what about RBIs? Is that the kind of thing where we just don't know what's going on? So we have to keep track. Are there things that you can look for to help? support that brain when they're experiencing those more quiet RBIs? Yeah, those repetitive brain uh, impacts of repetitive brain trauma, that's something that's a little harder to see because, you know, they tend not to cause symptoms right away. Uh, I think it is important to check in and just see how your child's doing and what they're feeling. I've talked to people who have told me that, yeah, you know, I just always felt a little fuzzy during football season. Where I always felt kind of fuzzy during hockey season, you know, it wasn't like one hit, one symptom, but things, you know, looking back, I just didn't quite feel the same way that I felt, you know, in the summer or the off season. Uh, So kind of checking in for that, I think is important. And I think for parents who their child is going to play, you know, tackle football or, or hockey with checking, whatever it may be, understanding the philosophy of the coaching staff too. And really being invested in, you know, I always try to say, don't be that parent. Like we all know that parent who's like <laughs> just doing going too far, right? But I think it's okay to, you know, be aware of how much they are tackling in practice and having conversations about, you know, your concern about their brain safety. And maybe there's multiple parents who have these concerns and and just, you know, having that conversation to reduce impacts. There are some very, very successful programs who don't tackle at all. So the Plantation Florida, there's a school led by an NFL, a former NFL player. They don't tackle at all during the regular season, and they've won state championships. There are cases in New Jersey. There's a college, St. Joe's uh, College at the D3 level has won championships. So it's not like you can't win. If you're a good coach and a good program, you don't have to tackle and practice to win. So just being aware of that. And then, you know, really also encouraging your uh, child to focus on one sport at a time, especially if they're repetitive impact sports, giving that off season time. So sometimes, you know, I live in Wisconsin, football season, especially if you're a good team might go, you know, late October into November and hockey season, butts right up to that. So if you are a multi-sport athlete, you're going from one contact season right into another, you know, intentionally giving a little bit of time Uh, to allow the brain to recover more is important. And just limiting those impacts as much as possible. We can still be great athletes, 
and we can still play these sports even at the high school level at a tackle sport without hitting all the time. Last question. Feel free to not answer this question because it's personal, but what sports would you allow your kids to play and what sports would you stay away from? Yeah. So I think if I had my choice, which, you know, I know a lot of parents don't, right? Yeah. <laughs> if I had my choice, uh, I love volleyball and basketball. My, my anxiety around that is with the specialization piece and that you know, encouragement to specialize and how, you know, industrialized youth sports has gotten with that. So that, that's where I have already had conversations in my head about how I want to, you know, work to encourage my, my child to, to play multiple sports and be well-rounded. If my child wanted to play football, like really wanted to play, I would, flag football is great. I would say play flag football, totally fine. Rules have to be implemented, right? If it becomes tackle without, you know, pads, then that's what's the point. So making sure that, you know, if they're in a league where they're actually implementing rules, but I would, that, that would be great. They can play flag football. I would be hesitant about tackle getting into high school, but you know, if that's what they really wanted, I would need to be really comfortable with the coaching staff and that the philosophy of the coaching staff. Uh, I, I have a hard time saying that I would say no, if I was comfortable with, with the way that the team was being led. I think, you know, we can't prevent everything, but we can go, mm -hmm. you know, take the steps that we can to reduce risk. And if I felt like that was being done on that team, I think I would have a hard time saying no, but I still hope they play volleyball or basketball. <laughs> Be honest. Thank you for giving your honest answers. I really appreciate that. Just because when you take a researcher and you ask personal question, it's hard to say like, well, what would I actually do in, you know, versus the very measured response you give about the general population. But when it's your kid, it's like, okay, what am I taking? What information am I getting from this research that's informing my choices? But it's going to be personal to everyone. And I really like the message that, mm -hmm. you know, we have to be sort of the prefrontal cortex long game for our kids because they're not going to be able to do that. But we also need to have the balance of, thinking about what they want in the moment and what's what's available out there and participating in the way that different leagues and different coaches are going about these sports because it sounds like it can make a huge difference. Definitely. Thank you so much. 